Welcome to the Masterminds Podcast Channel, brought to you by DonorSearch, a leader in prospect research tools and analytics, and your host, one of America's top philanthropic experts and fundraising consultants, Jay Frost. Writing expert, executive and development coach, fundraising consultant, and national fundraising trainer, Mandy Pierce launched Funding for Good in 2009 to equip organizations with the skills and tools they need to become successful and sustainable. We caught up with Mandy at her office in Hickory. Thank you so much for being here, Mandy. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I just wanted to talk with you a little bit about your work and how you came to be doing the kind of things you do. Um, you've named your firm Funding for Good. Maybe that's a good place to start. Why, why that name, and how did you embrace that, that idea behind your business? Well, my first business was Grant Cruz, which uh, stood for Consultation, Research, Education, and Writing Services. And as the business grew, because we started in 2009, we started realizing there were a lot of other development needs that we were able to address. So we decided to broaden the name to Funding for Good because it didn't just include grant writing, but we do a lot of strategic planning and board development and capital campaigns and development coaching and development planning. So um, that's really where the name kind of came from. And I was trying to think of something that didn't make us seem like, oh, we're going to do this fundraising for you, but we're going to help you really become sustainable, which is where the funding for good, not only for good organizations, but in perpetuity came from. Um, the only downfall is that sometimes people in other countries that see our name think we are a funding organization and they ask us for money constantly. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't think that through when I made the name, but um, it's a it's a good problem to have. Uh, and And you're not alone. In that, it, um, it, which brings up another point. I mean, you've, you're right there in uh, in Hickory, North Carolina. Is that right? Yes. And so, but of course, people have these needs everywhere um, uh, in terms of that kind of counsel and support for building sustainable support. Um, do you find that your work is uh, is work, working with people around the country? Where where do you find the majority of your uh, your work today? We are a national consulting company, and honestly, I think anybody that's a consultant, maybe even you guys yourselves would say, nobody thinks you're an expert in your backyard. <laughs> nobody wants to pay you when they already know you, and they're like, oh, we've known her for 20 years. But people in other counties that you're telling the same thing to are like, yes, we want you to come here and teach us. So we do have lots of clients across the country, and um, we aren't so much international. We do have an international audience because a lot of the content that we have is Will translate to many other countries and and the fundraising styles there. I would not call myself an expert in the fundraising for other countries at this point, especially the most of the folks that reach out to us for funding are coming from places like Africa or um, you know that part of the world. And I just don't know enough about that at this point. I, I'm try to be an expert on what I've had experience in, which is all here in the states. So while I appreciate those, I, I'm I'm not necessarily the go-to resource for it. <laughs> uh, at the same time, obviously, even locally uh, and nationally, there's a need for all those different pieces that you serve. That's probably how you've grown that business. 
but what what really attracted you to this this work in the first place? Because I know that you come from a kind of broader background. You worked, um, among other things, as development director right there at the School of Ballet, um, and uh, and you've also worked um, in, at the YMCA. So how did you come to this practice? Why why uh, why this kind of focus? Um, so really, I started in the development world in college with the American Lung Association, and I I understood the concept pretty quickly of relationship building, which is the foundation for all fundraising work. And I have always been a development director. So my business partner, Marie, has always done executive director work and program director work. And we make a very nice compliment to each other when we work with clients because we really get a full picture of um, a nonprofit, you know, from every angle. And we both serve on boards and we've both been volunteers. So we kind of see all the different angles. And for me, I just love plans, processes, and checking off boxes. When I was a development director, it was if you gave me a goal, I would create my strategy for accomplishing it, and I just wanted to check the box off and say, yep, I got that done. And so I got really good at that, and I love imparting that kind of structure and ability for organizations to learn those steps and do it themselves. Um, one of our big, I guess, I don't know what you call it, one of our, our big, uh, pillars for our organization is we don't want people to rely on us as consultants. We want people to learn from us. We want to teach them. And then we want to know that they can go off and do it themselves because it's not sustainable for most organizations to have a contracted consultant on staff forever. And so that's really our goal is we want to teach people how to do it, know that they can be here as support if they ever need it, and then watch them go out and be successful. Um, there are enough organizations around the country that I don't need anybody to be my client for life. And I don't think many consultants do. And I want to make sure that I'm making people self-sustainable. Are you seeing some pain points that have changed or evolved, um, especially you know throughout your career, but especially since founding the business, things that uh, are, are real particular needs in terms of helping people make the you know draw those conclusions, write those plans, and build that sustainable support? Yes. So a lot of the changes I've seen have been in the priorities of funders. So donors in general, whether it's a foundation or an individual, uh, donors are becoming more savvy. Donors are becoming more specific about their priority areas across the spectrum of fundraising. So with knowing that, you have to be better at everything. You have to be better at building relationships, better at writing proposals, better at putting your message out there in the right way, better at getting it in front of the right people, um, putting yourself in a position to you know, be in the room with those people in your communities and tracking your data and reporting your impact. It's just, it's higher level of accountability than what I remember. And maybe I was just younger and I didn't pay attention to it as much, but I feel like the accountability in general has become a higher level for nonprofits because of the transparent nature of their business model. And people expect that now. People want to know what their money did. People want to know what you're going to do with their money. People expect you to get back to them. And those pieces have have caused people to have to require, you know, like we have to have a donor plan. We have to have a marketing plan. We have to know what our message is going to be and how we're going to share it. So for, for me, those things have become imperative, whereas previously it was like, oh, as long as our loyal donor base still likes us, they'll give us money, which is truly how it used to be 25 years ago when, when I was raising money and we never had a problem keeping donors and people giving us money. There's so many more choices now. 
people are doing such a great job with their messaging. There are so many great causes out there that it's competitive. You know, some people don't typically think of the nonprofit world as competitive, but you are, there's only so many dollars to go around in the community and you, you have to be the best to get them or at least have the best message out there. So for me, that's the biggest change I've seen. And speaking to that, um, of course, there's all this competition. I wonder, do you think that it's the competition or the way that organizations are interacting that are perhaps responsible in part for this donor retention problem that we have? And, and how are you working with people to address that? Because that seems to be the plague of our field. It is, right? So for people that listen uh, to this that may not know, the average donor retention rate in the United States right now is between 43 and 45% which means for all the hard work you do to go out and secure 10 or 100 amazing new donors, you're only going to keep 43 to 47 of them. And that is horrible. That's depressing. Um, so yes, donor retention is a huge piece of what we do with our development clients to make sure they have a plan, to make sure they know their numbers, to make sure they're measuring them, that they're continuously in touch with donors, that they're catching folks before they lapse. And, and there's a, a lot of data there's all different kinds of reporting out there, but there's a lot of data that shows that millennials, for example, once they decide who they want to fund, they pick three to five organizations and they fund them for a long period of time. They want to get involved. They want to be engaged. And that's different than the older generations. Most of the older generations that we've dealt with, they, you know, they may change some folks they fund every year. They may say, we're going to give the same amount to different organizations, or we want to give them a little bit this year or whatever. They, a lot of them have folks they give to every year, but they've also changed it up. We're not seeing that so much currently with millennials and it's different. So you have to have a different strategy for how you're going to get them first. How are you going to be the first one they decide to give to so they stay with you? How are you going to keep them engaged? Because they want to be involved. They don't want to, you know, some people say, I'm going to write a check, but I don't want anybody to know it. That, that's the older mindset. They're like, I want to do good, but I don't need everybody to know it. The newer folks are like, I want to do good, but I also want to get involved. Like, I want to be there. I want to volunteer. I want to know I'm making a difference. So it's, it, we still have so many baby boomers that are donors that you have to walk the line between both of those, which makes donor relations a little more difficult and time consuming because you have to have a plan for each of those groups. It's interesting, too, because the, the landscape for how we have the opportunity to um, interest people, engage people, acquire donors, if we want to use that phrase, has changed pretty substantially over the last couple of decades, especially with social media. And I've talked with people about Facebook fundraising, for example, which has now hit the, I guess, the billion dollar mark over a number of years. And I'm wondering um, what you think about that in context of what you just said, since uh, it, millennial donors, for example, as you said, I, I think there's an expectation that they can not only just make a gift and, and walk away and hope that all goes well, but they want to see impact and they want to be involved. But platforms like Facebook, as beneficial as they might be, don't necessarily lend themselves to further involvement. What, what are, how are you working with people to make these two things that have arisen at the same time work together? Well, depending on how far out someone has the ability to plan, I try to share options and pros and cons. Like, yeah, you can do a Facebook uh, campaign. No problem for Giving Tuesday. This is the benefit of that, and this is the downside of that. Mm -hmm. And if your ultimate goal is this, let's look at some other options, right? Um, another thing with that is how much technology does your organization have and how much can you do, right? Sometimes it's you don't have the systems in place 
even if you're not using Facebook, to capture the data, even if you're using an online platform like PayPal or whatever, Stripe, um, your systems may not be capturing the right data. What demographic information are you capturing and how are you going to use it? So I really like to walk people through the process of what is your goal? How are you planning to get there? And what are the systems we need to put in place to make that happen? And evaluating what you're currently doing, what is it allowing you to capture, and does it need to be changed? Because not everything needs to be changed. Some things, you know, could be perfectly fine with a couple of tweaks, and some things maybe are fine right now the way they are. But to analyze it and say, we know why we're doing it, we know how we're doing it, and we know what we're getting out of it really makes the most sense. Because if you don't have a reason for doing what you're doing, then you, you may be doing a lot of stuff unnecessarily. You may be busy work. You may be wasting your resources. Um, so, you know, I do know people that use Facebook fundraisers and that's okay with them. Right now they're, they're accomplishing their goals. They're overwhelmed with other things. They're barely keeping their head above water and they just don't have the, the, the time or the energy or the resources to reevaluate it and put anything else in place. And honestly, sometimes you just have to fly by the seat of your pants and get it done. Other organizations are ready to build more capacity and do some other things and they're ready for some organizational change, cultural change. And, and they move on to other things that work better for them. So I never tell anybody, you're in the wrong place, you're doing the wrong thing. Try to meet people where they are and make the best changes we can with the resources they have. And given that you work with lots of different kinds of organizations and you've also worked within and uh, served or led other many different types of organizations, I wonder if you're seeing uh, those challenges play out differently in different places. For example, dance, which really strikes me that you've served, uh, I guess you currently serve as the board chair for a dance company, is that correct? Um, I don't think so. Did I not update that on my LinkedIn page? I, um, so that organization well, actually, <laughs> <laughs> that organization um, folded into another organization and I am not on the board. I served them for three years. I helped them start their nonprofit and uh, served as their president during that time. But, you know, they originally started as a ballet company at the nonprofit that I worked at, the Newton Conover um, Auditorium. And the ballet company decided they wanted to become their own nonprofit. So they left under the wing of that organization, started their own nonprofit. And then I helped them as they grew. Um, and, and then they basically got merged with a bigger company. Um, so I think every nonprofit that I work with, it's not so much the fundraising is hard. It's just getting your messaging right, mm. being able to share the right um, impact with people and being able to tell them how they can make a difference. And, and having a plan. That's the biggest thing I can tell anybody in any part of nonprofits, whether it's your strategic plan or your donor plan, your marketing plan, or your fundraising plan. You need to have one. Um, and most of them connect to each other. Like I can't think of any of those four plans that don't impact the other three in some way. Um, so I don't really see huge differences between types of organizations. There is a lot of money through foundations for specific things right now. You know, like STEM education is huge. Environmental change is huge. There are some things that if you're in that field, you might have some more opportunities than you ever have before. But again, that changes with time like everything else. Well, and I did want to ask you about that. Differences between the kind of work that you do um, to build those individual relationships uh, with, uh, with organizations that you work with and, and perhaps uh, similarities and differences um, when 
planning out those strategies for institutional donors. Do you, do you see a lot of difference or how are you advising people to take advantage of some of the opportunities you just identified? <clears throat> we, I don't have a really great generic answer for that. We create customized plans for every organization based on a lot of different things. You could have what might not be considered an institutional organization that still has a whole lot of donors in their donor base and they have to segment a lot of different groups and create a very customized plan. But then you could have institutional organizations that don't have a lot of diversity, but they have a lot of major donors or a lot of planned givers or you know a lot of folks giving to their endowment or whatever. And so it's not that it's different. I mean, it's not that it's the same for everybody in a particular field. It's that it's customized for each organization, not even every organization. Like you can't go to every university and say, this is the plan you should use because universities have different makeups and different types of donors and different ways to give. So there are some similarities, but I don't, I don't really have a generic answer for groups like that. Sure. Well, I know you're going to be talking about grants um, in the context of the Flash Class series, which is why I wanted to ask that about those differences with institutional donors. But you brought up in talking about all of this, that continuity of planning. And I'm wondering, you must have also been applying that in your own work and with your own business. As you think about your plan for the future, um, what kinds of opportunities are you looking for? And are you looking to for the sector to pursue? Are there some things that you imagine in the future that are pretty exciting for you, not just within your business, but the kinds of things you'd like to see as you think about uh, the sector growing and changing and and uh, and doing more good work. Well, for the business side of it, we've we've really grown a lot over the past couple of years. We've been able to put a lot of systems in place ourselves that we weren't able to do before, and so we're offering a lot more that people can take advantage of uh, for free or at a very affordable price point, so like less than $40 a month or something. But the, the purpose behind that is there are so many great organizations that just don't feel like they have the resources to put into major development work with someone, and I want people to have resources they need. If they're those people that can say, I'm going to learn it and I'm going to implement it, I want to provide them with all the tools so they can, because A, my company is only so big and I can't help everybody, but I should be able to provide tools that everybody can access. So we do that. We have a free stuff page on our website. We have a YouTube channel. We do things like this and free webinars. We have a blog where we write really intense, um, detailed articles that provide lots of information for folks. So they can watch it, read it, listen to it, whatever, and take those skills and do it themselves, right? Um, I don't see that changing. I see us continuously adding new content like that for folks as the need changes. We have seen the biggest request for board development of everything that we do in the past two years. So we have started creating some solutions for board work. And, um, you know, we have some trainings we do around the country for that. We do a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with people because, again, every board is completely individual. If you've seen a board, you've seen one board, uh, like a grant application. They're not all the same. And so we really try to also do those custom solutions for people. Um, I think that as boards get stronger and founders get more savvy about the concept that a nonprofit is a business, it can and should make money, and that you need to have a plan for how you're going to make that happen. I think nonprofits will become more robust and potentially even contribute even more to the economic impact of their communities than they do now, which is a lot more than people realize. Um, so I, I look for those things and try to find ways that I can help 
advance those concepts along. And that's where my focus is at the moment. Thank you very much, Mandy. We really appreciate it. The Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions for not-for-profit organizations. Our producer is Terrence Diggs. Our theme music is composed and performed by Ahmad Ibrahim. The voice introduction to our program is performed by Ryan Ibrahim. You can subscribe to the Mastermind series on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, livecasts, and flash classes with our featured masterminds at donorsearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.